Wish you weren't hearing an ad right now? Want to get the next episode even sooner? Well, after the show, head to watchnebula.com slash radio. You'll get access to our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping us to make even more amazing content. Just go to watchnebula.com slash radio. It really helps us out. Have you ever had a neighbor that was so bad you just wished you could sue them and get them to move out of the neighborhood? I want you out! Well, today we're going to indulge in your neighbor-suing fantasy with some of the worst neighbors that have ever existed. On the matter of next-door neighbors, English author G.K. Chesterton famously quipped, The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. Clearly, Mr. Chesterton had some bad neighbors himself or knows some jaded real estate lawyers. But it's an all too relatable sentiment because few parts of life inspire more acrimony and generate more attorney's fees than drawn out fights between neighbors. Which might explain why neighbor disputes seem to make up 90% of sitcom plot lines. Ew, what? Ugly naked guy's taking his turkey out of the oven. And it's all too common that neighbors are presented with straightforward solutions to their problems, but due to pride, animosity, or both, they choose to dig in their heels and incur tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees instead. Which is bad for neighbors, but great for lawyers. So let's start with property lines and boundary disputes. Perhaps the most common neighbor dispute is when one property owner discovers that his or her neighbor has built a fence or other structure that crosses the boundary line, which creates a cause of action known as encroachment. And most of the time, such encroachment is unintentional. Boundary lines can date back decades or even centuries. And as time passes, successor neighbors can forget exactly where the original lines are. When a road or structure or even a pile of rocks extends into a neighbor's property, this also creates a cause of action for continuing trespass. And to get the court to order the removal of these infringing structures, an individual can file a common law action for ejectment to prove that the individual has the sole right to possess the property that is being encroached or trespassed upon. But ultimately, the simplest way to resolve boundary disputes is for the parties to get together and pay for a lot line adjustment that moves the official property lines to match the neighbor's current boundaries. But if every neighbor could resolve disputes in a calm and mature fashion, there'd be no need for this video about nightmare neighbors. For example, when Gabriel Braun of Bangor, Maine, discovered that his property line included one half of his neighbor's garage, he then decided to take matters into his own hands by sawing the garage in half. I mean, from a legal perspective, absolutely the wrong way to handle that dispute, but that is some tremendously precise construction work right there. Some real Matt Reisinger stuff. We'll see you next time on The Build Show. Here's the background. In 2012, Gabriel and his wife, Tracy Braun, moved to Gabriel's childhood home and peacefully coexisted with their neighbor, Steve Ritter. But things changed after Mr. Ritter died in 2016 and Steve's widow, Teresa Laith Ritter, and their son, Blake, took ownership of the property. Gabriel described Blake as, quote, a terrible neighbor who he alleged had late night parties and was rude to the Brauns and their children. The dispute escalated in April 2020 when the Brauns put down wood chips near the previously established boundary line to allow a tractor to travel downhill to clean up downed tree limbs. Blake responded to this act by planting a stake in the ground where the chips were placed and demanding that Gabriel remove the chips from what he claimed was the Ritter property. Gabriel then hired two different land surveyors to check the boundary lines who both concluded that half of the Ritter's garage was on the Braun property. Blake asked Gabriel for the opportunity to remove his father's ashes from the garage, but Gabriel claims his neighbor began throwing trash and smashing glass and throwing bureaus in front of the lawn. The next day, Gabriel, who works in construction, sawed the garage in half. 
Following widespread media coverage, the Ritter sued the Bronze and the surveyors, the purported crane operator, and even media organizations that reported on this controversy. Shortly after this lawsuit was filed, the judge ordered the Bronze to set aside $150,000 to pay future damages, noting the Ritters would likely prevail at trial. Gabriel, who is representing himself and his wife instead of hiring a lawyer, now concede that he could have handled this better, noting that he would have liked to, quote, have seen a better resolution to the dispute myself. I mean, sure, Braun could have hired a lawyer to negotiate a redrawing of the boundary lines, kind of like how the Ritters had hired lawyers to litigate their case, but instead of doing the sensible thing, Gabriel clearly had been guided by one animating principle. How would a cartoon neighbor act in this situation? There, now we live in completely separate houses. I don't ever have to look at you. Now, here's some hashtag not legal advice. If you get into a legal dispute, it's a good idea to hire a lawyer instead of trying to fix everything yourself. That's why in the legal profession, we have a saying, only a fool would have himself as a client. And given the likelihood of the self-represented bronze losing to the lawyered up Ritter clan, this is just another example of brain over brawn. <laughs> Nailed it. Come for the legal analysis and stay for the terrible puns. Now, let's talk about easements. Anyone who makes the leap from being a renter to a homeowner does so with the intention of having property that is truly their own and no one else's. However, what a lot of people may not realize is that most homes come with easements, which expressly grant certain rights to allow third parties to enter your land and use your property. And when there are disputes about strangers coming onto your property, that's where you can run into problems. Easements grant individuals, companies, or the government the right to use or access another individual's property for limited purposes. These easement rights typically include physical access like the right of way or utility easements that allow public entities to install telephone poles, gas lines, and other infrastructure. And parties can also obtain negative easements, which gives a holder of the right to require a neighbor to do or not do specific things, such as preventing an owner from blocking the neighbor's view or obstructing water flow. And of these easements, the most common one is the driveway easement in which a neighbor has the right to use the property owner's driveway to access his land. You wouldn't think that a driveway could be a source of such conflict, but then you've never lived next to Minnie Driver. I mean, I haven't either, but judging by her feud with her 70-something-year-old disabled neighbor over a driveway easement, I'm not sure I want to. Here's what happened in that case. In September 2014, the Goodwill Hunting Star moved in next door to Daniel Perlmutter, a 74-year-old disabled army vet and heart transplant survivor who walks with a cane. Problems began immediately that December when Perlmutter began building an ultra-modern home on his property bordering on a shared driveway. Perlmutter claimed the driver had gone to great lengths to block access to his driveway easement that leads to several parcels of land, including driver's property. Driver further blocked the easement with the installation of an electronic gate to protect her from the paparazzi. This was originally done with the blessings of Perlmutter and his wife, but driver allegedly changed the code and disabled the manual gate switch after construction began. In November 2015, driver obtained a temporary restraining order against Mr. Perlmutter, claiming that he, quote, cursed us in blue smoke in my children's faces and otherwise put the driver family in fear of their lives. Perlmutter denies this misconduct. In 2016, the Perlmutters sued for trespass, private nuisance, assault, and intentional infliction of emotional distress. He claims in his suit that driver threw, quote, baby food jars filled with black paint against the walls of his home. Driver denied Perlmutter's allegations and claimed that he was the one who was deliberately blocking the driveway as Perlmutter had installed a new wall that narrowed the driveway down from 20 to 14 feet wide. In November 2016, Driver went to Los Angeles Superior Court and Perlmutter was found guilty of contempt for shrinking the driveway easement with his wall. He was ordered to do 10 hours of community service and pay $200,000 plus Driver's attorney's fees. To avoid jail, Perlmutter reluctantly tore down that wall but continued to lash out at Driver in a January 2017 court hearing 
hearing, alleging she, quote, perjured herself in every way with her testimony of complete lies, putting on a performance worthy of an Oscar winner. Perlmutter then filed a new lawsuit accusing Driver of outrageous and malicious behavior, screaming insults and obscenities at him, driving at him into her car, causing $20,000 worth of damage to his property and threatening to have his construction workers, quote, deported. Perlmutter also claimed that after winning the prior lawsuit against him, he videotaped Driver, quote, gloating, telling him that she was glad he got effed and wishing that he would lose everything as a result. However, it's clear Perlmutter hasn't been the most diplomatic of neighbors either, previously telling the DailyMail.com about Miss Driver, quote, she won and I hope she spends every dollar on chemotherapy. Jesus. And after three years of fighting, the neighbors finally reached a confidential settlement agreement for all claims in April 2018. The presiding judge, Rita Miller, had expressed disappointment in court that the two couldn't resolve their differences without litigation, noting with a chuckle, the heart of the case is who's richer than who, I guess. So my legal eagles, the big takeaway here is that if you disagree with the scope of an easement, it's best to try talking things out with your neighbor. Unless of course you are very angry and have hundreds of thousands of dollars for legal fees, in which case my telephone line is always open. But that takes us to private and public nuisances. One of the most common complaints people have about their neighbors is that they are annoying. And most of the time being annoying is not a crime, even though it definitely should be. But at a certain point, did you know that you can be so annoying that it actually violates the law? Well, this brings us to our next legal concept, nuisance law. Individuals who own or occupy real estate have a common law right to what's called quiet enjoyment of their property, meaning that they have the right to use and enjoy their premises in peace without interference from the surrounding neighbors or landlord. A person commits the tort of nuisance when a person in possession of real property engages in an activity that significantly interferes with the use or enjoyment of another's property or otherwise affects the health, safety, welfare, or comfort of the public at large. So when you hear stories about nightmare celebrity neighbors, those claims typically fall under nuisance law. For example, in 2011, eccentric filmmaker and foot enthusiast Quentin Tarantino brought a private nuisance lawsuit against his neighbors, True Blood creator Alan Ball and his partner Peter McAdeese, alleging their macaw parrots emitted, quote, ear-splitting shrieks and screams for seven to eight hours a day. Tarantino argued that the macaws subjected him to, quote, obnoxious pterodactyl-like screams, which have, quote, robbed Mr. Tarantino of the ability to find peace in his home. And if you think Tarantino is exaggerating, this is what a macaw call sounds like. But sometimes the nuisance doesn't affect one person and it affects the public at large. And there was a public nuisance case relating to the Sriracha factory in Irvine, California. The city of Irvine filed a public nuisance lawsuit against the hot sauce maker after residents began to complain about, quote, burning eyes, irritated throats, and headaches, with other residents claiming that they moved outdoor activities indoors and even would leave their homes to avoid the stench. After Sriracha agreed to install new filtration systems, the city dropped the suit in the following year. But a court is not likely to stop every annoyance. In defense of a nuisance claim, a defendant might argue that the offending activity complies with zoning laws and a court is less likely to halt an activity when the local government has approved it. Or a defendant might also invoke the coming to the nuisance defense. This means that if a defendant can show that they engaged in this conduct before the plaintiff moved to the neighborhood, the plaintiff was therefore completely aware of the activity and chose to live there, a type of consent. So if you have a very annoying neighbor and talking it out doesn't work, just know that you can always call a lawyer because the one thing you definitely shouldn't do is start erecting things out of spite. So let's talk about spite. Specifically, spite fences, spite houses, and other spite structures. Because certain homeowners, those with the time, money, and malicious intent to build impractical structures upon their land, often do so just to annoy their neighbors. All for the express purpose of taking you down.
And you better believe that there is an entire area of law devoted to such structures. Now, you might have heard of a spite fence before, but there's actually all sorts of things that you can build out of spite. Now, the law has a specific legal term to describe any structure built out of spite. And legal eagles, I'm going to need you to be very mature about this because the very real legal term is malicious erections. Hey, hey, there is nothing funny about malicious erections, but please consult your lawyer if you have a malicious erection lasting more than 10 hours. Now, perhaps the most famous spite fence is the Crocker Spite Fence of San Francisco, where a 19th century railroad baron built a 40-foot fence around his neighbor's home after they refused to sell him their house, triggering a 30-year feud. Enter Charles Crocker, a six-foot-tall, 300-pound titan of industry who made his fortune overseeing and financing the construction of the Central Pacific Railroad. Crocker had but one humble dream, building a tiny 12,000-square-foot mansion, buying an entire city block, and getting San Francisco to build a residential cable car just for the wealthy folks in the area, who were also buying entire city blocks. Now, to fully understand the story, which took place during the Gilded Age of US history, I need you to imagine a time where wealth was concentrated in the hands of the relatively few, the owners of these big businesses. Laborers toiled for hours and hours a day, never reaching anything like what these owners of these companies had, all while these ultra-rich few felt emboldened to blow their money on monuments to ego. What's all this? Oh, this? Oh, I just came from work. I'm a secret agent astronaut millionaire. Now that you've pictured such a fantastical scenario that could never possibly happen today, we must continue. As this railroad baron bought up the block and the project neared completion in 1876, Crocker, the unstoppable force, met an immovable object, and his name was Nicholas Young. Young, a German immigrant who ran a mortuary, was the sole holdout who refused to sell his land. So Crocker decided to torment his neighbor by building a 40-foot fence, enclosing the neighbor's house on three sides out of spite. When Robert Frost wrote, good fences make good neighbors, he clearly never had a neighbor like Charles Crocker. After he built the spite fence, both sides then took turns trying to outspite the other. Crocker ordered his workers to arrange dynamite blasts so rock debris would pelt the young house. Young threatened to block Crocker's view with a skull and crossbones flag and place a coffin on his roof, ostensibly to advertise his business, but mostly to annoy his rich neighbor. And after Young and Crocker died in 1880 and 1888, respectively, their heirs continued this fight. Efforts to get the city to tear down the fence went nowhere, as the fence technically broke no laws. Spite fences only became illegal in California in 1913, and after withstanding a constitutional challenge in 1920, the modern statute was finally codified in 1953, providing that, quote, any fence or other structure in the nature of a fence unnecessarily exceeding 10 feet in height, maliciously erected or maintained for the purpose of annoying the owner or occupant of an adjoining property, is a private nuisance. When Young's widow died in 1902, the rivalry died with her. Their daughters sold the land to the Crocker descendants in 1904, and the spite fence was torn down in 1905. But all this fighting would turn out to be pointless, as in 1906, the San Francisco earthquake and related fires burned down the entire neighborhood. Apparently, nature is just as capable as man of acting out of spite. And just like spite fences are impractical structures built specifically to annoy, spite houses are generally built with no intention of living there. Like the Plum Island Pink House in Newberry, Massachusetts. According to legend, a wife agreed to a divorce from her husband on the condition that he build her an exact replica of their current home. But she did not specify where the house should be built. So the husband built the home in the middle of an isolated salt marsh that used salt water for plumbing, rendering the unit uninhabitable. And apparently spite runs deep in the state of Massachusetts. 
Massachusetts because Boston also boasts its own famous spite house. As the story goes, a man returned from serving in the Civil War only to find that his brother had built a large house on their shared land. And since the Civil War adequately prepared him for brothers being on opposite sides, the Spurton sibling built a 10.4 foot wide skinny house to block all sunlight and view of his brother's home. Now in 2017, the property was sold to private owners for $900,000. But spite structures are not just a thing of the distant past. Back in 2017, Gaver Nichols, an architect neighbor in Alexandria, Virginia, decided to build a new garage two feet from neighbors Paul and Patrice Linen's property to block their first floor window. The Linens missed their 15 day period to object to the garage because Nichols began construction while they were out of town. And the city later concluded that the spite garage was not technically illegal. A year later, the Alexandria City Council amended the code to now require all structures to be at least five feet away from a home with a basement or first floor window within three feet of the shared property line. But there are so many ways that you can spite your neighbors, as illustrated by one Michigan man and Vermont man who individually decided to construct the ultimate symbol of spite, a giant middle finger. In Michigan, strip club entrepreneur Alan Markovitz purchased the home next to his ex-wife, then built a 12-foot-high, spotlit bronze middle finger sculpture in his backyard. Markovitz claims his wife had an affair with someone he knew and felt compelled to spend $7,000 for the chance to flip them off every day. Markovitz is no stranger to making enemies, having been famously shot twice, once in the face, had a mob contract taken out on his life, and had an ex-girlfriend drive a Pontiac Fiero through one of his clubs. And similarly, in Westford, Vermont, business owner Ted Pelkey had reached the boiling point after fighting an 11-year battle against the town's development review board, which had repeatedly denied his building permit application for an 8,000-square-foot garage. Mr. Pelkey had previously expressed his displeasure in less than legal ways, like in 2011, when he allegedly threatened to shoot a town official if he stepped on his property. Some people in my situation would have probably went and bought a gun, but instead I said, well, I'd rather just put up a big middle finger in the front yard and just tell them what I think of them. Years later, Mr. Pelkey found a not quite unique, but slightly less threatening way to express his displeasure with the town officials. He spent $4,000 on a 700 pound chainsaw carved wooden middle finger perched atop a 16 foot pole. Although one might think that this would qualify as a spite structure or even a public nuisance as it flips off the whole town, the government apparently could not do anything about it. That's because the middle finger does not advertise a product or service, so it does not fall under Vermont's billboard law. Instead, it likely qualifies as public artwork protected under the First Amendment. The town has fought for Pelkey to take it down, but the middle finger remains. And it inspired a short film, A Very Large Gesture. Oh, and one last thing. I know right now you're probably fumbling with your phone trying to find the next podcast to listen to, but you can't because this is an ad. But it doesn't have to be that way. Instead, you can go to watchnebula.com slash radio. You can get access to all of our original podcasts ad-free, plus exclusive originals and experimental shows from your favorite educational-ish creators. And best of all, you're helping to support us make even more amazing content. So before you go, check out watchnebula.com slash radio to support this channel and this podcast directly.